The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, refreshed at time of recording from a relaxing weekend. And also looking ahead at how close the end of the year holidays are, I better get on those Thanksgiving plans. Today's guests are the founders and hosts of Green Tea Party Radio, which you have definitely heard us promote this season. I am honored to have been their only guest to date, but overall they cover and or plan to cover a number of important topics, and I recommend you check them out. Zach Torpy and Katie Zakreski sadly not joined by their partner, Hannah Rogers, who was ill at the time of recording, are smart, they're funny, and they're leaders not just of the future, but of the now. As they say, grab your mugs and they will pour the tea. So stay tuned, listeners. Green tea is coming your way next. Welcome back, listeners. I am so excited tonight to be in conversation with two of the three brainchilds behind Green Tea Party Radio, which if you are a regular listener, you know we've been pumping up pretty hard here on the show. So Katie, why don't you tell us how did the idea for Green Tea Party Radio come about? Absolutely. Thank you, Chelsea. So Zach and Hannah and I all knew each other from our work at um, Citizens Climate Lobby and a handful of other environmental organizations. And we all got to talking one day and we were like, you know, there's not a ton of content out there, particularly for young environmentalist conservatives. Um, Of course, you know, we were all familiar with Republican and the ACC, but outside of those, there's not a whole lot. And after digging and digging and digging and looking for content, we were like, you know, if there's not a lot of content, but there are people out there who are looking for it, then why don't we make it? And so we all sat down and talked a little bit about, you know, what does that look like? How do we brand ourselves without compromising either our conservative or environmentalist values? And that was back in March. So we're starting to finally see the fruits of our labor. (laughs) How hard has it been to get your voice, Zach, as you, you know, it's one thing to sit and have ideas, but then to actually execute them in a way that attracts people to want to hear you and listen to you and absorb you. Has that been fun or a challenge or can maybe a little of both it's definitely a weird experience like i'm more of a quiet person keep to myself but like i'm definitely trying to learn to become more outgoing and more talkative and i these are just topics i love talking about so it's very fun to talk to katie and hannah about these topics like all the environmental issues we want to deal with all the like city planning stuff we talk about it's just things we're passionate about so kind of it flows with us it it's gotten a lot easier as we as we've been going along you know, and what you were saying too, just about there, you know, I'm super cognizant of the fact that we were, you know, at Republican.org, we were one of the first to have a weekly newsletter to um, do this kind of podcast. And every time we see somebody else is doing it, we're like, yes, more people, because sometimes the burden felt pretty heavy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to like feel mm-hmm. like you're the only one and are you doing a good enough job and are you having the right guests on? And and so I think it's so great that you're out there and um, your target is more kind of younger, uh, I would 
you know, Gen Z types of, of voices, correct? Or an audience? Definitely. Yeah. We, we've marketed ourselves a lot towards um, college age and young professional conservatives. And you can kind of tell if you listen to a few of our episodes, we definitely work in a lot of um, Gen Z slang and meme references. So it's, it's, it's really fun as we progress because it sounds more like you're actually just sitting in on a conversation with um, several members of Gen Z who are navigating a lot of the um, social concerns and economic concerns and political concerns and environmental concerns for 30 minutes. Zach, who have your guests been so far for those listeners that have not tuned in, which I just have to say, shame on you, tune in. <laughs> well, so far, so far you've been our only guest, but we're working on getting more guests onto the show and doing more more of a um, guest-based approach because it's easier to do the interviews and talk to people and just get their insights. But we've been doing like a lot of uh, like topic breakdowns, such as like the reliance on oil, um, some city planning stuff, uh, high-speed rail. And we just like dive into those topics and sort of shoot them out between each other and have fun. <laughs> how how do you decide what topics you want to choose? Do you guys have a brainstorming session or does each one of you kind of take the lead on a specific topic and then um, you know, it fleshes out from there? Honestly, both. This is going to be the most Gen Z response ever. But I think that there have been several days where I wake up, I see that it's Monday and I message the group chat. And I'm like, what are we talking about tonight, gang? <laughs> um, <laughs> but then other other weeks will be like, hey, you um, like Zach hasn't had a had a turn yet to really dive into the topic that he wants. Zach, what do you want to talk about? And we'll help you like flesh out the show notes. So it really does kind of rotate in terms of like who will take over the topic for that episode. And then we just all kind of chime in. Fortunately, we've all I think at this point between all of us either having worked on the Hill or having an environmental background or, or some sort of research background that, that we've all at least had something to contribute to every single episode. So that, that has been a lot of fun. Do you remember that moment when you realized that you were, that you had a belief that environmental issues were important, that solving climate change was important, but that you came at it from more of a conservative mindset than others and and did you maybe feel a little lonely <laughs> like do you remember that epiphany when you're like oh my god I believe this certain way but people either think that I don't or um, there's not really a home for me so I, I and, and I've mentioned this on our show a little bit um, I grew up a climate denier I was like way far right in like 2014 2015 2016 and, and I've, I've shifted a little bit to a more reasonable conservative platform since then but I, I grew up a climate denier in my first semester of college I took a course called science and society and um, our professor did a really good job of just like handing us something to read every single week and just being like, okay, just read this. Just, just give it, give it a little bit of time. Think about it, read it. Don't judge it. Give it a chance. And after doing this for a whole semester and all the signs and data and statistics pointing in one direction, that's when I was kind of like, okay, I, I would be remiss if I said that climate change was not real, but I don't think that the green new deal is a great idea or a lot of these um, solutions coming from the left so how how do I be an environmentalist without compromising my conservative values? And I, I know we talked about this on the episode that you were on, Chelsea. Um, it was that day that I was standing outside my campus's fountain and I felt so lonely because I was like, okay, good. I'm an environmentalist. A lot 99% of my college campus that hates conservatives will like that about me. 
but alas, I'm still a conservative. So everything else about me, 99% of the campus is still going to hate. Um, is there nobody else in the world who feels like me? And I literally just Googled conservatives that believe in climate change and y'all's stuff and y'all's newsletter was the first thing that popped up. And I signed up for it like eight years ago and like held on to it like my life source for years and still refer people to it to this day. So you, you're very much right in that y'all were pioneers in, in really paving the way for us to do stuff like this because y'all gave us hope that there was somebody out there doing it already. <laughs> well, you are not alone in that. Our um, dear friend, Alex Bosmoski, who was a longtime um, employee of Republican.org and helped found it with Bob Inglis back uh, before my time, um, but probably close to 10 years ago, he had the same attitude as you, Katie. He went into college at Georgetown University, kind of hell-bent on debating his professors and taking them down on the climate mm-hmm. hoax and stuff, and then started to you know, look at the data. And then he was angry. He went through a period of anger, right? Like, how come my party isn't embracing solutions to this ginormous problem in a way that does reflect our values? And so- you're not alone. Zach, how about you? Do you kind of remember that feeling of uh, I'm different, but but that that underlying desire to do something with environmental issues and specifically climate change um, was ran strong through you? I've always been a big environmentalist. I grew up like walking around the nature preserve and catching frogs and snakes and wanting to be outside as much as possible and like wanting to save animals and stuff. But what really made me realize that I have a much more conservative view on how to address climate issues is um, when they find, when I think it was like AOC's like Democrat progressives finally came out with like their green new deal, like uh platform. And it was only like, a couple pages long. I was like, I was expecting like a really thorough data-based research thing put out here with like numbers, how much it's going to cost, how they're going to raise money for it. And there was just nothing on it. And I'm like, we, you got to think about the economics of what you're doing and how you're going to fund everything, how you're going to pay for it, how you're going to plan it. And like, you need to be thinking this more out than just like, here's my wish list. This is what I want to do. And uh, let's go do it. I just realized yeah. I was like, maybe I'm more conservative that I want a more solid plan and more thinking put into these things than just a wish list. <laughs> right. It it definitely reads like a wish list. And I was surprised too the first time that I actually looked at the legislative text and was like, wait a second. First of all, it's not even a bill, it's a resolution, um, which listeners, that might be a little weedy for you, but and uh unless you really like to deep dive into how your uh Congress works, which you all should, but resolutions are really just statements that each body of Congress can make. So they resolve to dot da 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 da. And it's not something that has any binding impact on law. So even if the Green New Deal in its current iteration passed, it would just be a resolving of this is what we think should be done. There would not even be anything that happened. But then on top of that, yes, it is. there's no real level of detail, how things are going to be funded, what they cost. And you have to have those things when you're writing legislative text. You have to have them. And so I would agree with you. I think you know, we are at a point, I think I think with climate change, we're past the point of small bites at the apple, right? Because it mm-hmm. is such a big problem. But we also have to target the problem itself and not all the other, like, there are a lot of problems, sure, that society faces, but, and, and there has to be a way at times to kind of interconnect them, but not for this. Like, like, let's just roll up our sleeves and get this done because 
as you both know, increasingly we have support um, from both sides of the aisle to, to do something or at least to have the conversation. And I think that's really important that we tap into that agreement because, I mean, man, the news has been rough the last few weeks. There is not a lot of agreement going on right now. Yeah. I think I was very upset watching the last uh, Republican primary debate and uh, didn't get a single question on the environment. We got a survivor vote someone off question, but nope, no questions on the environment. <laughs> yeah. And even in that first debate, um, when it came up, it was exciting, right? And I know ACC was a big part of that happening, but I was really disappointed in some of the responses. I thought that um, Governor DeSantis missed an opportunity by immediately like kind of trying to deflect into the way the question was asked, which I do agree. Don't ask if people believe in climate change anymore because listeners are tired of hearing me say this, but Dr. Catherine Hale likes to say, gravity doesn't care if you believe it in or not. If you step off the building, you're going down. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. Yeah, in that first debate, and then Chris Christie, a former governor of a state, you know, Ron DeSantis from a state, Florida, that is front lines of climate change with, um, they've kind of gotten off easy this this hurricane season, but, you know, front line for some of those big storms and their red algae and um, just a lot of terrible things happening in that state. But also Governor um, Chris Christie was Governor of New Jersey, when Superstorm Stan, Superstorm Stan, uh, Superstorm Sandy, say that three times really fast. <laughs> I dare you to. At the end of a we'll long Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and instead of talking, you know, and he is somebody who has long time believed in the need to do something on climate change, but instead of going into his record or what he would do as president, he decided to make a crack at uh, Vivek Ramswamy. And so I just sort of feel like, come on, guys, like this is serious. And especially for your generation, if they want young conservatives to vote for them in future elections, like this is a top voting issue for Gen Z. Absolutely. I mean, right. I'm not a Gen Zer, but I'm like speaking for you all. I feel like the, the politicians have just lost the thread on this conversation discussion where it's like they just have they just refuse to discuss these different topics with each other, discuss the solutions, discuss like how we can work with each other, how we can cross the aisle. And the animosity has like made it really difficult to even get anything done in Congress if they're both just hissing at each other from across the aisle. Yeah, it, it really is. It's not productive, right? And I, I do like to um, to bring the notes of light into the conversation. I know you both um, have had affiliations with Citizens Climate Lobby, who supports the um, carbon dividend plan, um, which puts that fee on carbon pollution, um, the money derived from that fee back into the pockets of Americans, which I think is a great approach just in terms of um, getting buy-in from regular voters um, and, and to alleviate some of the concerns that people have for energy prices increasing and so forth. Um, but it does seem that the avenue right now that has some bipartisan will, we just might be running out of time with a presidential election coming up. And again, I say coming up with uh, air quotes because <laughs> it's over a year away, but you both know in, uh, in the way this process works, we're basically already in that cycle. Um, but the, the fee on 
the border adjustment fee. So having some sort of fee being assessed to um, on those countries and those products that aren't as produced as efficiently or as effectively as as we make them here in the U.S. Is this have you guys done any work on CBAM or um, Carter carbon border adjustments in your day to day or um, have you been following that news at all? Yeah, so I could get on like a 400 hour long soapbox about this. I I love I but I'll but I'll give us all the the, the watered down version for the sake of time. Um as a conservative environmentalist who really touts fiscal responsibility and and fiscal soundness in general, um I love CBAMs. I love CBAMs so much. Um I love carbon pricing as a free market mechanism. Um, I think that it's a true free market alternative uh, to the carbon credit system. I think that that can very easily be uh, more or less hacked by people who don't have, you know, the environment's best interest at heart. Um, and I think that a CBAM makes up for a lot of that. I feel like anytime I talk to, and of course I'll be vague because I've done a lot of lobbying with folks on the Hill. Anytime I've talked to a conservative who's like a climate denier and you start bringing up environmental stuff, they're like, but China, but India, but Russia. And I'm like, ah, oh, let me introduce you to my friend, the CBAM. And, and I just feel like it is, it is the best solution for everybody whose immediate comeback is, oh, well, it doesn't matter what we do because there's always going to be another country that that's a dirty polluter and nobody's punishing them. Well, if only we had an economic lever in which we could punish them and still protect our our financial market. Oh, we do a CBAM. So I just feel like if more people knew about the CBAM, what CBAMs do, how they work, how they put polluting countries like that in check, I feel like it's really a conservative no-brainer. Like whether or not you believe in climate science, like let's just look at the financial benefits. Yeah, I would agree with you. If I had a dime for every time somebody put that China and India argument mm -hmm. at me, and it's the perfect response. Yep. Because, mm -hmm. you know, Bob Inglis likes to say, like, we have, we can't go and make China and India or Russia or any of these heavy polluters change their way of doing business except through trade policy. It is, and, that, and that's and that's exactly why they're polluters anyway, because that's the cheapest, easiest way to, you know, offer things for the lowest price to, for for the sake of our market. So you're exactly right. That's the only lever that we could use to shoehorn them into doing something non-polluting. Absolutely. Um, so tell me what the future of Green Tea Party Radio is. Are you, uh, do you, do you record every week? Are you um, looking kind of to operate within school semesters? You know, what's, wh where do you want to take it now that you kind of got some episodes under your feet and are taken off? That's a great question. Right now we're recording weekly and just trying to keep the episodes churning out. I'm not sure when we're going to take a break, but <laughs> we're absolutely fun. You do we're doing need it. to take a break. Let me tell you what we generally do is like 18 to 20 episodes, and then we'll take like a month break and it's time to regroup and come up with new guests and episodes and so forth. We definitely, I highly recommend you got to take a break. And then that'd be a good template to fall, get into the semester flow. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to get those college radio stations. I, I think that for us, you know, the, the end goal is to let folks who, are our age who were in our shoes just a few years ago who, who when they like sit down on campus and they're like should I drop out or like should I like what do I do should I do this online instead there are people out there who think like you 
they're just going to be a little bit harder to find because they're not always in the majority. And, you you know, like we we don't want to be famous necessarily, although it would be pretty cool if we were. (laughs) I I think just letting people who are in those really vulnerable, precarious situations as young conservatives know, hey, you don't have to become a liberal like all of your friends. Like, like Like you're allowed to continue to be a conservative. There are people out there like you. They're just a little bit harder to find. And fortunately, three of them are making this show. That's right. So how can those people find you? Right now we are, um, we have our own website. It's greenteapartyradio.com. Let me double check that. It's uh, <laughs> it's been a minute since I've said, yes, it is greenteapartyradio.com. And uh, we're also in the process of getting all of our social media accounts up and running. So um, our our Facebook, our Twitter, Instagram, pretty much everywhere where, where young folks would dare to look, you, we will be there. So that that is where you can find us. But start with our website for now because it's already up and running. That's greenteapartyradio.com. And your episodes are posted there as well. Yes. And and you can also listen to them on all sorts of podcasting platforms. I know my favorite to listen to it on is Spotify just because their show notes are really cool. Um, That's a really cool feature that us data nerds uh, really love. Um, But yeah, you can listen to all of our episodes on our website and then find out more about us and all the links to our social media. And I just wanted to personally thank you, Chelsea. Y'all have like been our, I think, number one fans other than my parents. And (laughs) (laughs) so so thank you for like all all the tweeting and having us on the show and for coming on our show. And it, it really takes a village when you're a conservative environmentalist. And I'm really glad that all the folks in our village are 110% behind the cause. So thank you again. Well, you're welcome. And it does take a village, but also I have an ulterior motive is that someday I want to retire. Mm, <laughs> fair enough. I'm always <laughs> thinking about who's coming up behind me, who can be the one to to be the next voice. So I nominate you guys. Awesome. We, we accept that nomination. Yeah, you can't be the only one carrying the torch. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And that, that's another hard part, you know, like not to like, tangent off into that that's another hard part about being in this position it can really feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders when you're a young conservative who's concerned about the environment because you see a lot of the if you will the sins of other conservatives who just like don't care who it's not a concern and you really find yourself juggling these two issues so if you're a young conservative or a conservative period who's an environmentalist take some time for yourself that can be a really hard job to have yeah and find your people find your people for sure because there are people of all ages. Sorry, Zach, I didn't mean to cut you off. You were dying <laughs> to say, say something. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you got to change change the party from the inside. Got to work people and continue to push the environmental envelope and be like, this is an issue that the future generations we care about and we want to address. And we'd like to see some questions that are addressed by our politicians. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And Zach, Zach, I know you and I have had conversations about this, about how, you know, like a few times y'all will ask me about presidential debates. And I'm like, honestly, this is going to sound bad as somebody who's like, I guess in the in the media is the conservative person, but like I have stopped watching presidential debates because it is the number one way to lose hope in your country, I think. Um, <laughs> and, and I just don't see I don't see myself represented on stage. All of these people are 40 or older. They own property. They probably have a net worth of over six figures. That's not me. Yeah. So so I, until you can run for president, work on your local civic level and with your state government to make the change that you want to see. Hallelujah. I believe in that wholeheartedly as well it's a lot more satisfying to work at the local level sure see the responses and you absolutely yeah you you can actually see the differences you're exactly right 
and see the and bike lanes getting built <laughs> right like on a first name basis with the those policymakers as well and and they really listen to you and respect you and um so i highly recommend that for listeners that are looking for ways to get involved that feel really fulfilling and and as as you've both indicated like talking to those elected officials whether it's through email or social media or you know, if you like to write a real letter, write a real letter, <laughs> make a phone call, <laughs> right. go on a, go on a fly in, or just go make an appointment to see the staff person yourself, but make your position known because that is the only way that we're going to affect changes for those at the top to realize that everyone at the bottom <laughs> wants, um, wants a certain thing done. And so power to you all. I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing and here to cheerlead for you and help however I can and look forward to uh, seeing more and seeing you break the, the podcast airwaves as a top, <laughs> top downloaded show. Yeah. Let's get us in the top five. Come on, gang. Download, those, <laughs> download <Yeah>. those episodes. <laughs> hey, Gen Z, just get out there and do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Y'all, y'all love social media. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Katie, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chelsea, for having us on. So, Price, we are deep into spooky season now. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and next week, as of day of recording, is the end of October. Like, what? Where is this year going? Where is this month going? Like, I haven't even watched any horror movies yet, and we are, like, firmly in October. <clears throat> Two weeks from Halloween today, as we sit here and record, what is your favorite Halloween candy? It's always a hot topic around this time of year. I will tell you, a Reese's Cup cannot be beat, whether it's Easter, Christmas, or Halloween. Any time of year, it's always good for a Reese's Cup. I do like a Reese's Cup because I am a big fan of peanut butter, um, mm -hmm. but my go-to is a Twix bar. I love the shortening with the caramel and the chocolate or like that cookie shortening. What do they call it? It's not shortening. Shortbread. Shortbread. Yeah. That's the word. You know, it had yeah. short in it. So anyway, I love that. Um, and it's just not something I would ever buy. Like I can kind of replicate a peanut butter cup here at home. Um, sometimes don't tell Bob Inglis, but I will put a yeah. scoop of peanut butter and some mini chocolate chips in my oatmeal. He would probably say that is counter to what you're trying to do with the oatmeal. But unlike him, I cannot eat that stuff plain. So, uh, yes, I am with you on the peanut butter cup, but add Twix to that. I'm not really like a candy person. So my mm -hmm. kids always want bonkers, Starbucks and Skittles and um, they even like those like smarty things. And I'm like, give me all the chocolate, dude. Give me all the chocolate. Yeah. I um I would go probably a Kit Kat is a backup for mm. me behind. Yeah. And the Snickers, I'd probably go Snickers third. Can we just talk about those people, though, that put raisins in Halloween bags? Like, just yeah. stop. Yeah. Like, yeah. let the kids have a night. It's right. like. It, my mom always regulated us. I regulated my kids. They weren't going hog wild, but whatever. Like raisins, those are just getting thrown away. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, that probably ranks up there not far from a year when I lived, uh, when I was living in Annapolis, Maryland. And one year we gave away toothpaste to kids. Oh my God. <laughs> That's because one of my roommates at the time, uh, 
I had a sister that I can't remember the whole PNG story, but we ended up with like little mini travel boxes of toothpaste, and we decided let's give this out as our Halloween candy favor, and we did, and it was met with some resistance from the few munchkins we had stopped by. Shocking. Shocking, but actually kind of a clever idea, too, because yeah. that at least is useful. Raisins <clears throat> are getting tossed. Mini toothpaste, I'm going to use that when I travel. And one more thing on this vein before we uh, wrap this baby up. What was with all the, like, people are going to put razor blades in candy or in apples? Or, like, has that ever actually happened? Like, I remember as a kid, it was like, don't eat the apple because it might have a razor blade in it. You can tell if somebody's put a razor blade in an apple. Like, I feel like this is just one of those things they did to scare us when we were kids. Yeah, I, I would be more concerned about other things being put in the candy, but a razor blade is not up there. I would be more concerned about a foreign substance or something like that um, before I would a razor blade. I'm sure there are instances, and we could probably Google and find the razor blade instances now, but I, I outside of inspecting the candy and just kind of looking it over, I, how are you even going to find the foreign substances? I don't know. Right. Exactly. So anyway, calm down, America, is my message. Yes, the Halloween candy will be flowing in some houses. It already is and flowing. Our new members that have signed up with us before we get to our guest this week, just want to shout out Matthew C. in Michigan, Pat B. in Texas, Nico D. in Colorado, Ray K. in Florida, Richard B. in Washington, Thanks for standing up to stand with us at Republican.org, which you can do online, Republican.org forward slash join, which brings me to this week's guest who joined you uh, yes. from the Green Tea Party Radio, and they were great. I will let you take that one away. Charles. Man, I love those kids. I'm sorry. That oh. sounded um, dismissive to call them kids, but they are compared to me, and they're like my kids' ages. And as Katie said, I'm like her biggest fan next to her mom. <laughs> so yeah. uh, the way I've been pumping them up. So, you know, important voices in our community. And I think, you know, there are two types of people in this world. There are people that are they're like afraid to have more people, you know, doing what they do. Right. And then there are people that are like, come on in. And I feel like we don't have enough voices on the eco right out there preaching the gospel, bringing in new, new supporters, new members of the eco right. And so I'm so glad that Katie, Zach and Hannah, who sadly could not be with us today or mm -hmm. at the time of recording because she was sick, I'm so glad that they that's what they're doing. They're out there. They're trying to reach their peers and creating a safe space for those conversations. And I thought that was, you know, it was really meaningful to me. And Katie said this when we recorded, when I was a guest on their podcast, said it again on ours, that she felt at one point like she didn't have a place to go. And mm -hmm. then she found us and she signed up for a week in review. And so if you listeners or someone you know feels that way, we are here for you. Mm -hmm. Come on in. So just psyched to have those voices and can't wait to keep following them and, and continuing to monitor what they do. Yep, absolutely. Appreciate them for joining us. And that was last week. What's ahead this coming week? So um, we are going to piggyback off of the webinar, the Nuclear Now webinar that we had um, a few weeks ago, led by our fearless Angela Lark, who orchestrated that um, fantastic and very widely attended webinar by bringing on um, 
somebody who who attended virtually attended that webinar. Charles Kamenoff is an energy policy analyst, and he is somebody who went from being anti-nuclear to pro-nuclear. And he's going to talk to us about why it's such an expensive energy source. So excited to have that conversation with him and share it with our listeners. <clears throat> Absolutely. Can't wait to bring that to you all next week. And I guess we will get out of here on that note, Chelsea, because we've got more programming. We've got a lot more to do the rest of 2023, as Chelsea was lamenting at the start here. The work the, never ends. <laughs> it, it doesn't. We got more episodes. We come to you every single Tuesday. Uh, of course, Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe. You can have it delivered to your iPad, uh, iPhone, your laptop. You hit that subscribe button. Give us a review while you're there. We'll take any kind of stars you want, preferably five, but uh, let us know what you think about the podcast. You can give us any suggestions for guests there. Um, if you're an Android user, you can listen uh, on Spreaker, Spotify, different a multitude of ways that you can listen wherever you listen to your podcast. You can search EcoRight Speaks in that search engine and you will find us. So sign up, uh, download, listen, subscribe, tell a friend, tell, tell more than one friend as we continue to grow and take over the world, Chelsea. Find us. <laughs> All right. Until next week, we will talk to you then. Have a great okay. week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.